Take your Bibles if you would. We're in the Gospel of John. If you could catch that, it's John 14, verses 10 through 12. So, last week we were um, in 1 John, the week before that we were in John 14, and I just covered one verse, let not your heart be troubled. And the week before that I covered 23 verses, but now we're going to go through verses 10, 11, and 12. And the main thought today, as we'll get to it, it's towards the end where it's going to talk about our works. And I know that's not a good word to say in a grace church. You're not saved by works. You're saved by grace. I know that. I 100% believe that. But we're saved unto good works. And Christians that are saved will do good works. So it's kind of where we're heading today. So verse 10 Jesus said, do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father in me? We're going to talk about that too. The word that I speak to you, I do not speak of myself, but the Father who dwells in me, he does the works. Notice the words and the works are kind of connected there. And both by which Jesus says, I don't say a word that the Father doesn't say in and through me, and I don't do a good work unless the Father does it in and through me. So the words and the works are interlinked here. Verse 11, believe me. And remember Jesus said in verse 1 of this chapter, um, "Let let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. And so he's, he's like imploring us again, believe in me, believe in me. Believe me that I, that I am in the Father and the Father in me. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? Or else he says, okay, if, if that's not good enough, then believe me for the very works themselves. Well, what were they? He healed the blind, raised the dead, healed the deaf, uh, fed the multitudes. These are all great things that Jesus did. These are good works. But I had this really, I have this kind of reoccurring thought as I was preparing for this message What does it profit a person if they're fed, they're able to walk, they got their eyes, they could hear again, but yet they walk off into hell? Do do you know what I'm getting at? Like, these are wonderful works, but what's the purpose? If I can't walk, and now I could walk again, but yet I walk right off into hell, not believing in Jesus, but I got my, you know, uh, my, my ability to walk, What does it profit? Jesus says, what does it profit a person if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? What shall you give in exchange for your soul? So believe me. Or if you don't believe Jesus, he says, then believe in the works. What did the works testify of? Well, Jesus said, the works are not mine. They're the Father working through me. And we're going to talk about these works that Jesus did. Because more than just providing physical needs, there's a bigger picture behind the works that I think Jesus was heading towards, and we'll pick that up a little bit later. Verse 12, Truly, truly, I say unto you, he who believes on me, the works that I do, he shall do also, and greater works than these he shall do, because I go to my Father. Now, this has been perplexing for Christians for years. What are these greater works? Well, remember when Jesus was doing his earthly ministry, if Jesus was in Bethany, he wasn't in Jerusalem, he wasn't in Capernaum, he wasn't in 
uh, Galilee. He wasn't in Nazareth. If he was in one location because he reduced himself uh, to God coming in the flesh, his, om- his omnipresence was confined to a locality. But when Jesus ascended into heaven and he spent chapter 14, 15, 16, and 17 saying, I'm not going to leave you comfortless. If I go away, I'll put my life into you. And every believer since Jesus ascended into heaven has become the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. So when Jesus ascended, he said, greater works. What's the greater works? If Jesus could deposit his life into billions and billions of people, that's a worldwide influence. That is greater than just one location healing one person. Now you've got millions of people with his life deposited in them, having the same power and the same access that Jesus had, but being multiplied. Does that make sense? So let's pray, and then we'll look at just a couple thoughts here. The words are works, just as the Father was in Christ, he's in us, and then greater works that we'll do. And I have a short video at the end that I want to make a huge point about. <laughs> so I'm really, really trying to work towards the end of this message, which would be the main point. But let's pray. Lord Jesus, I pray that as you're in the midst of us, and you're in us, even the songs that we sang, Lord, that just that the words of the songs, the words of the Bible, just the meditation in our heart, the words that you speak with that small, still voice that's not my voice, it's not the voice of anyone else but you, I pray that all of this communication in the front of the scenes and behind the scenes, however your spirit ministers, that all of us would just be encouraged and that this whole thing wouldn't just be a religious exercise, but it would be authentic, it would be real, it would be genuine, and that you would do what Eric prayed, that we would just we would experience that, that changed life and that encouraged life so we could go out and tell others. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So point number one, Jesus says from verse 10, Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father in me? The words that I speak unto you, I do not speak of myself, but the Father who dwells in me, he does the works. So Jesus is very deferent in that he wants to acknowledge and give praise to the resource. And that resource for anything good that comes out of the life of Jesus, he's deferring to the work of the Father in and through him. I can say the same thing and so can you. That is in me and my, in my body dwells no good thing. Anything good that comes out of me is the life of Christ living his righteous holy life in and through me. There's none good but God. If I do anything good, it's from the goodness of God that's flowing in and through my life as I yield to him and walk in the spirit, which is by faith, and say, not my will, but thy will be done. And it's in those rare moments for me as a Christian, right? Let's be honest, that good things happen. I'll tell you little things like, um, you know that impulse to shoot someone that text or to give someone that call or to write that letter or to go visit someone ha- someone's house or to stop by in the hospital or to give someone some money or to lend something that you have extra or maybe it's sacrificial and you'll be without. Do you know those impulses? And when you respond to them, that's the Lord. 
I'm learning to do it more. I'm learning to listen better. But those things are the Lord. So listen to those impulses. Learn to be in tune with the, you know, get the dial kind of dialed in and listen to the Lord. He will, he's in you. But, uh, and then cooperate with what he wants to do as we impact this world uh, with Christ in and through us. But this question, do we believe that the Father gives the words and does the works in and through Christ? It's a rhetorical preacher type question. Of course you believe it, but sometimes we don't really ponder it and think about it. Like, how was Jesus operating? Was he just like Han Solo, just doing his own thing? Um, how was he, how did he do his daily? What was his routine? You know, in Jesus' life, if you look about it, it was very unmethodical. It wasn't very like, uh, it didn't look very structured. It didn't look very like regimented. It didn't look like he had an eye calendar with Siri telling him off the to-do list, you know, what he needs to do on, on the regular. It seemed like he kind of waited for instructions and he responded to the Father as the Father gave him directives. Did Jesus have communication about stuff like this? Uh, yeah. Remember when he was in the garden praying, kind of doing what we're talking about? And he said, I don't want to do this. I don't want to, I know this is your will, but I don't, if there's any other way, I'll do that. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. So yeah, they had communication. Yeah, they had dialogue. You ever talked to God? I don't want to do this. No way, you know. Um, the only thing is, is Jesus pulled this off perfectly. He lived the perfect, dependent life. I believe the devil, when he, Jesus was attempted in Luke 4, Matthew 4, those four times, it's easy to remember those chapters, four temptations, chapter 4, chapter 4. Um, I believe those temptations were for the devil to get Jesus to stop acting so dependent on the Father. You are God. You are the Son of God. You, you're hungry. Make this bread uh, or the stone into bread. Act on your own. Do it. Pull it off. I think all of that was a satanic ploy to get Jesus to act independently and not dependently. But when we look at the life and times of Jesus, he lived this totally dependent life on the Father in and through him. As the example of how we are to approach our Christian experience, dependent on the Father, the Spirit, and the Son living in and through us. So let's look at some of this stuff. John 3.32. And what he has seen and heard, that he testifies, and no one receives his testimony. He who has received his testimony has set his seal to this, that God is true. For he whom God has sent speaks the words of God. So he's saying, I was sent, the Father sent me, he put his seal upon me, and I only speak his word. Furthermore, John 5, 19, Then Jesus answered and said, Truly, truly, I say unto you, the Son can do nothing of himself, but what he sees the Father do, for whatever things he does, these also the Son does likewise. And he's working in perfect unity and in harmony uh, and total dependence on the Father working in and through him. Uh, John six thirty eight. For I came down from heaven... Not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. 
And this is the will of the Father who sent me, that of all which he has given me, I should lose nothing, but should raise it up again on the last day. And this is the will of him who sent me, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him should have everlasting life, and I will raise him up at the last day. Now, again, if you think about it, when the devil was tempting Jesus, he's like, hey, check all this stuff out. Since Adam gave it up way back in the garden, and I took the scepter from Adam, metaphorically, all this, you know, Adam was to be steward of everything, but now I'm the God of this world. Since I'm the God of this world, literal G, I have the power to give it to whoever I want. If you just worship me, I'll give it to you. Right? Kind of appealing um, to his pride. And Jesus, I mean, he could have done, he could have taken over. He could have just said, devil, I just, I'm, I created you, and now I'm uncreating you. See ya. He could have done, I mean, Jesus had all power, but he was deferent to the Father living in and through him. And he didn't do it. He came down from heaven, not to do his own will, but the will of the one who sent him, which was to live this dependent life as Adam was intended and failed. Jesus is called the last Adam. He succeeded. He lived in total dependence, getting all of his needs met, not taking matters into his own hands. Oh, that looks good to the eyes. That will make me wise. That has the pride of life, the lust of the flesh. He was tempted in all points, um, yet without sin. He faced it all to act independent and to take things on his own will and to go about it his own way. But he didn't do that. He said, nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. John 8, 28, And Jesus said unto him, when you've lifted up the Son of Man, in other words, crucified him, then you shall know that I am. And I like how this translation actually capitalizes that, emphasizing that he is the, the God of Exodus chapter 3, the I am, the great I am. And he said, and that I do nothing of myself, but as my Father has taught me, I speak these things. I speak what I have seen with my Father. He does not act independent. He acts totally dependent on the Father. John 12, 49. For I have not spoken of myself, but the Father who sent me gave me a command, what I should say and what I should speak. This is, okay, you ever hear this term for Christians? It's just easy believism, easy believism. For those that are one Savior, I always say, that's easy believism. As opposed to what? Difficult, impossible believism? I don't get the antithesis of that. But here's my challenge. If believing is so easy, I dare you to try it. What am I saying? Jesus lived in a totally dependent faith in the Father. I don't say anything. I don't do anything. I don't go anywhere. I don't do anything unless the Father gives me the directive and the command. You think you could live like that? I dare you to do it for a day. <laughs> and keep an honest scorecard. I dare you. I'm only saying that because I, I can't do it. The, it's available. It's possible. You might be able to do it for a day. I'm not saying it's impossible at all. You, can, you have the power. You have, you have the Holy Spirit. The same resource that Jesus had, you have. The same the same access. The only thing is, is we like walking by faith is so unfamiliar to us because we're so used to taking matters into our own hands. 
But if you look at the life and times of Jesus, this is exactly how he lived. And he says that we should follow in his steps. I'll never do what Jesus did, probably not. But I could live how Jesus lived, probably, if I choose to. So John 17, 8, For I have given them uh, the words which you gave me, and they have received them, and they have known surely that I came out from you, and they have believed that you sent me. Now, when Jesus... When we live as Jesus lived, we too can say the words and do the works how Jesus did. I, like, I'll probably never walk on water or turn, you know, water into wine or raise the dead and all that kind of stuff. Um, but I could live how Jesus lived and he lived my faith. And honestly, the healing, the, all the visible signs and wonders... I don't think is the main point. And I know we're, we're probably hung up on that or we're the most impressed by that, but I don't think that's, I don't think that's what he was getting at uh, to begin with. Like I was saying, what does it profit you if you go into hell having 20-20 vision? You know, the rich man in hell in Luke 15 lifted up his eyes and he saw perfectly. What does perfect eyesight do you in hell? And he was thirsty. What, like, what of all your senses in hell have, if they, they all work, what profits you if you're going to experience eternal death and not eternal life? What does it even matter? Do you get what I'm saying? It doesn't matter. It does not matter. So we need to consider that we could live how Jesus lived, and living his righteous life will look different. Look at these quotes, for example. Sorry about the size of this. <laughs> I didn't know it was going to be that small. Yeah, I couldn't see it either. Justification did not come from a plan, but a person. Sanctification did not come from a process, but a person. Transformation will not come from a program, but it too comes from a person. Christ living in us and through us. So this transformative life that is this dependent life and it doesn't come from a program or a process. It comes from the person of Jesus living in and through us. Uh, next quote. We should never be surprised when we fail. We should always be surprised when we succeed. For in those, I'll put them in air quotes, rare moments, it is Christ living through us. All else is nothing more than a predictable failure in the flesh. Boy, I identify with that. Are you surprised when something really awesome and spiritual and eternal happens? And you know it. If you're a Christian, you know it. You know it. You're like, that was right. That felt right. Uh-huh. Yes. It's like, if you ever hit a golf ball with an aluminum baseball bat in the sweet spot, you're like, oh, yeah. Has anyone ever done that? Okay. You're like, okay, yeah. Or a golf club or a tennis racket or whatever. When you hit the sweet spot and it just ping, and it, it just, you know it, right? And you know when it doesn't. You could it just, it, there's torque, it's off-centered, off-kilter, off-balance. You just know when it isn't. It's like when you have a sweet cast, right? You just know it. Right? You just know it. Set the, yeah, you just know it. And you know when you don't, like, whoa. <laughs> Went right off the side of the bow. <laughs> um, 
Jesus Christ laid, this is the next quote, laid down his life for us so that he could give his life to us so that he could live his life through us. Why go through all of the gospel, the church, the Bible, Christian history? Why? What is it all about? I think Jesus laid down his life, not to just show off, like, look at me, I'm so sacrificial. I'm the Lamb of God. This is what lambs do. I don't think it was to show off. So that he could give his life to us, that's the pain for our sins on the cross, so that he could live his life through us. That's the resurrection. He got out of the tomb. Why did he do that? He could have showed off for that too. Look, I conquered death. But he didn't just stop there. It did, the gospel goes on. The whole purpose was to join his life to your life so that you could do life together. It, why, it seems like that's like the forgotten aspect or the missing, maybe the concept, but maybe the eternal purpose of God to begin with was so that he could, he could not only do life, but be life in and through us. So he gave his life for us so that he could give his life to us so that he could live his life through us in union with us. Point number two. Just as the Father was in Christ, Christ is in us. Verse 11, believe me, he says again, believe me that I am in the Father and the Father in me, or else believe me uh, for the very works themselves. So do we really believe who God is and where God is as he relates to Jesus? Look at these two verses just from Colossians. These aren't the only two, but I just pulled out two. For it pleased the Father that in him, Jesus, all the fullness should dwell. The fullness of the Godhead. For in him, Jesus, dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Bodily. All of God. Hey, think about it. You could fit all of a million earths into the sun. S-U-N. The sun, incidentally, in our solar system contains... 98% of the mass in our solar system. That's a lot of mass, right? You could fit a million. So the fullness of the sun, you could fit a million earths inside our sun. Jesus in a body, all of the Godhead was full in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Full. Not 98%, 100%. So Jesus said, do you believe that God was in a bod? Do you believe it? So point number two on point number two. Who do you work for, number two? Point two. Just as the Father was in Jesus, the fullness of God is also in us to those who are believers. So this is exclusive to believers. Sorry, you need to put your members-only jackets on. <laughs> I don't know how those went up in price. I don't know why they became trendy. <laughs> uh, John 14, 20. This was some of the prayers and teachings of Jesus, and this was the purpose of the cross. John 14, 20. On that day you shall know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Well, what's the day? Well, he had to go to the cross. Why did he go to the cross? We had to be forgiven. Why do we need to be forgiven? So we could be filled. 
Why should we be filled? Just so we know that we're going to heaven when we die? No, so we could experience and express his life here on earth. So you could experience that, not just I got eternal life, but I have abundant life. The only way to really extract this and to experience this is when we yield to it and we say, not I, but thy will be done. Not I, but Christ in me. And he says, you'll know it, you'll know it, you'll know it. And then he uses agriculture in the next chapter about a vineyard. He said, abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it remains in the vine, so neither can you unless it abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, the same brings forth much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. And this is the modern King James Version, incidentally, and you'll know like all the pronouns are capitalized. Mr. Mike. No, we had the discussion. He's like, I don't, don't bring it up, and I'm, I'm like, sorry to bring it up again. But this translation does it. Not all of them do it. The King James does it. This is the modern King. It's called the MKJV. Um, and it capitalizes the pronouns. So, but are you getting the point here that Jesus, Jesus is in us, but that's not just the goal, just to show up. He wants to do life. Look, if, if like eternal life is the goal, if you get saved, why don't you just get raptured? Immediately go to heaven. That doesn't happen. So you're here on earth. So what's the purpose of being here on earth? Well, Jesus wants to live his life in you, through you, so that when people around they can start to see, oh, you're the body of Christ because he's going to do greater works through a multitude of people in Garden Grove, in Great Britain, in wherever, in Korea, uh, India, Afghanistan, wherever people are getting saved around the world and they're, wa they're walking in the way Jesus walked, they're yielded to his life, his life will come through and be seen in their life, and people will start to see, oh, okay, that's what Jesus acts like. That's what it looks like. So we have this opportunity because we're in union. Now, this next one is actually taken from the Lord's Prayer. Not our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. The Lord's Prayer, in that Jesus in John 17 was actually praying these words. Okay, so in John 17, verse 20, 22, he said, And I've given them the glory which you have given me, and they may, that they may be one, even as we are one. I am them, and you and me, that they may be uh, made perfect in one, and that the world may know that you have sent me, and have loved them as you have loved me. And I made known to them your name, and will make it known, so that the love which you have loved me may be in them, and I in them. There's a lot of cross pronouns going on here. I, me, you, us, we. There's singular, there's plural. But Jesus said, I and the Father are one, and their oneness takes up residence in your heart if you've received Jesus by grace through faith. They make their abode in you. This is the, the new home, because God doesn't dwell in buildings, but believers and so he wants us. Why does he want to show up there? Why does he want to make your heart his home? So you could experience and express the lovely life 
of the Lord Jesus Christ, not only for you, but for those around you. Now this concept, if I was to preach this 2,500 years ago, this would be insane. 2,100 years ago, insane. 4,000 years ago, they didn't have guns, but insane. For those of you listening, I just shot myself in the head. Um, insanity. That God would dwell in you. First of all, the main obstacle was sin, so that's, the cross had to happen. The blood of animals couldn't remove sin. It just temporarily covered it, but there was an IOU, an IOU. There was a, a national debt stacking up that only God could pay. No one could pay it off. No one could pay it off. They didn't, you think our debt is terrible. The sin debt owed to God from the world, unpayable. It's going to take a miracle. And that miracle was found in the person of Jesus. He did for us what we could not do for ourselves. He paid that debt, right, that we owed that we could not pay. But look at, this was a mystery. Look at Colossians chapter 1, the next slide here. The mystery that was concealed is now the mystery that's revealed. So the mystery which has been hidden in Colossians 1.26 from ages and from generations, but has now been revealed to his saints. Who are the saints? Those are the holy, sanctified, set apart, separated ones that name the name of Christ. So you, the people before the cross, didn't get to know this. Now you, this was a mystery to them. It's no longer a mystery to you. And it might be a, here's the thing. When I, when I teach this a lot, and I do, I find more and more, this is still a mystery to the saints. They're like, what? I thought a Christian means you just show up to church, you go to a few activities, maybe read some sort of popular daily devotional and call it good. What's this Jesus in you wanting to live life through you business? This is the point. It was the mystery. It never happened before until now. And the devil wants to rob our identity and make sure that you don't know this mystery. But let's let the cat out of the bag. The mystery is no longer a mystery, but the mystery was a mystery for ages until Jesus showed up. He says, for to them God would make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the nations, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in you, Christ in you, Christ in you. He's in you. Do you believe that? Jesus said, he said, do you believe me that God's in me? And now I'm saying, do you believe the Bible that God's in you? That was a mystery. Like in the Old Testament, God would show up, and some of, some of us, like me included, I'm a little bit more impressed and envious. Like, what the heck? They get to see like spread oceans and changes of the atmosphere and like fire and you know, all the, you know, you look at the Old Testament, you're like, look at the showdown with Moses and Pharaoh. Bring back some of that. Come on. But you know what? You know what they'd be looking at? They'd be like, what? You could have this, <laughs> you could have this manna. We didn't like it anyways, you know. <laughs> we complained about it. You could have the parting of the Red Sea. It was kind of freaky. Um, you could have all that. You have God in you. He would only show up once in a while, and we never knew. Like, 
are we doing it right? God, please show up, you know? <laughs> they would say, like, we never knew when he was going to show up in the tabernacle, this weird hokey tent we had to make in the wilderness, and then we built this temple, which the architecture looked kind of weird, you know, kind of weird, but then only the priests got to see the Shekinah glory. That seemed kind of biased. Only he did it once a year. You guys get to experience this God that we eagerly anticipated and we looked for and we prayed for and we longed for and we were all hoping we could do the right things to get him to come. You mean to say he's with you all the time and you have access all the time? Look at it from their perspective. That's the mystery. You guys know what I'm talking about. You're bearing witness with that? Because that's the truth. That's the facts, Jack. And sometimes, I don't know about you, but sometimes we're like, yeah, okay. I'm a Christian. That just means I go to church and I vote Republican. And I watch Fox News. Where in the world did that become a requirement? <laughs> I was talking to Adam about politics the other day. You know, I'm like, you know what? I'm not so much of a brand boy. I'm like, I'm for the principles. And then I gave him a whole bunch of things, you know. And I don't want to get into it because then you guys are all forget the message and they go right to that. But, <laughs> but it's, not, it's not the politics, the person, it's like the principles. Jen, you don't have to leave. See, you lose people. You just lose them. My own friend, my own familiar friend, has lifted up her heel against me. I'm just kidding. Judicifer. Like Jennifer, but Judas, you got it? Okay. <laughs> so to have this mystery experienced, say... Like, I'm, I'm speaking about the, this Christ in you. It doesn't matter you're male or female, Jew or Gentile. All nations get to know this. The only condition is you must come to God by faith alone, saved by grace alone. If you have received the Lord Jesus Christ, you've been granted that access that was only exclusive once a year to a man from a certain tribe, a certain day. Now it's 24-7, Access granted, right? You have that. But if I'm saying all this Jesus in you, living his life through you, and you're like, I thought Christianity was a religion. And I'm trying to look at like different religions. Some have these good points and some have the... You're talking about Jesus living in you? That's weird. I know. I did the same message for 13 years to the Mormons. They did not like it. They thought it was weird. I remember having one conversation, the guy's like, he's looking at me and so perplexed and so like superior because he was in the 98% majority. He's like, Jesus, like you're about six foot. Jesus is about six foot. He's like, I'm about six foot. Do you think I could get inside of you? He was looking at it just physically and I'm like, are you kidding me? You really think that's good? <laughs> like, and he could only be a one person at one time? That's weird. So, if you're thinking, I don't understand this mystery, it's okay. 
Let me go to the next passage, because the next passage will give an invitation for you to have this experience. Go to the next slide. Jesus said in Revelation 3.20, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, that's receiving by faith, I will come into him. I will sup, fellowship, dine with him, and he with me. That's not religion, that's relationship. You eat with people and talk with people and fellowship with people that you have relationship with. And, and that's what Jesus is saying. He's knocking on hearts' doors. And if you do not know where you'll spend eternity, if you do not know about having an eternal, dynamic, vibrant love relationship with the uncreated creator of the universe, you could know that just by opening the door, or maybe you're, you don't, don't even do any works. Just say, come in, don't get off your couch. <laughs> just say, come in, Jesus. I've never thought about that illustration until now. Too lazy, I'm too sinful. Just, I got a bag of chips, I got inappropriate videos playing on my screen, I got worldly music, smoking a joint, just cussed my dog out. I'm watching Fox News. I'm cussing out the liberals. And he's just knocking. Or I'm a liberal, I'm cussing out the, like, the domestic terrorists. I'm pushing CRT. And, I, and Jesus said, I just want a relationship with you. Okay, I know I'm a sinner. Um, will you come in? Come in! And Jesus will just come in, and he'll make his home with you and give you the keys to the kingdom, and you don't even deserve him, and I don't either. So let's close this out by this last point. <clears throat> Greater works will we do. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes on me, the works that I do, he will do also, and greater works than these he shall do, because I go to my Father. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes on me, the works that I do, he shall do also. So what were the works that Jesus did, and how did he do them? I think this kind of is obvious. I already mentioned them, the blind, the deaf, and all that kind of stuff. And I think the point of all of those physical miracles is that if Jesus could demonstrate he has power over physical walking, he also has power over spiritual walking. If he has power over physical eyesight, he has power over spiritual eyesight. If he has power over physical ears, he also says, he that has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the church. So it wasn't just the physical part he was demonstrating. He was basically being empowered by the Father to have power over the physical realm to demonstrate that he has infinite power over the spiritual realm because the physical came from the spiritual. The spiritual is infinite. The, the physical is finite. And so Jesus is saying, side with eternity on this one. Don't go with the lesser. Does that make sense? He, it, it, I gave him a rite of passage. Okay, I got the physical. That was easy for Jesus. I got that. But the bigger point is not that you got a meal, that I, that I multiplied some bread and some fish. That's nothing to Jesus. Not that you got a meal. That's important. I'm not negating that. 
But, like, you want to go into hell having your belly full and you're, doing, you're not hungry? Now, I, I get it. Like, you know, we need, to, we need to provide these basic things for people in that so they could be fed and warmed and comforted and taken care of so that the bigger spiritual point can be given to them. Like, you can receive the Lord Jesus by grace through faith and know that you're saved. But I think even beyond that, the greatest two works of Jesus was his work of revelation and his work of redemption. Now go to the next slide. So the work, um, go to the next slide. So the finished work. So the two most epic, most pinnacle works of Jesus would be the work of revelation and the work of redemption. Let's look at the next slide with these two verses, or this one verse, and the next one will be on the next slide. But let's look at the, the work of revelation. In John 17, 4, he said, I have glorified you upon the earth. I have finished the work which you've given me to do. This was before Jesus went to the cross. This is a compelling statement. Okay, so the question is, well, what is the work that you're finished doing, Jesus? And you haven't even gone to the cross, and you haven't been buried, and you haven't been resurrected. Pray tell Jesus, and now I'm really curious, what's the finished work? Well, I think it's because this is a continuation from John 14, where we're at. The verses, uh, like in verses 7, um, 8, and 9, where Jesus has said, Have I been such a long time with you, Philip, and you have not known me? He that's seen me has seen the Father. And so Jesus, all that he was doing was this revelatory work of showing that he's in a body, yet this eternal God is living in and through him. Because he said, it's not, it's not me that's doing it, it's the Father doing it. The words that I say, it's not me doing it, it's the Father doing it. So Jesus was doing this work of revelation. He was revealing who God is, God's heart, God's character, how he deals with women, how he deals with culture, how he deals with races, how he deals with poverty, how he deals with children, how he deals with adultery and drunkenness and sin and pride and religion. You want to see God in action? That's what Jesus is saying. So he was doing the work of revelation before he did the work of redemption. Does that make sense? So let's look at the next verse. Pretty obvious verse. When Jesus had received up sour wine, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up the spirit. It is finished. We said the other verse, I finished your work. Now there's another finished work. What does this finish? It finishes the payment for sin. It finished the old covenant. This is where the New Testament, uh, this is where the Old Testament ends and the New Testament begins, by the way. This is all about communion. In Hebrews chapter 9, it says there can't be, a, in verses 14 and 15, it says you can't have a testament unless, unless there's the death of the testator. In other words, when you make a last will and testament, that will and testament doesn't go into effect unless the person dies. Anything before this is still Old Testament. And most Christians don't know this. 
And they just, they'd hijack things where Jesus was teaching to the Jews who understood the law and he was burying them under the law. And then Christians get buried under those same arguments that Jesus was using to the Jews. This is the New Testament beginning, not where it says Matthew 1.1 because your Bible says New Testament. It's just a marker. It's just like, okay, I'm done with Malachi. Now I'm going into Matthew. But the New Testament begins with the death of the testator. That's why when we do communion, Jesus said, I'm getting you ready for this. This blood is shed. For the, this is the New Testament in my, in my blood. It's shed for the remission of sins. So when Jesus said it's finished, the work of redemption is finished. So he did the work of revelation and the work of redemption. So these are great works. Um, Jesus came to reveal and he came to redeem. So now we too then, as Christians, we could do, we're not going to do the work of redemption, we've entered into that, but we can do this other work, this work of revelation. How do we do it? We could do the same work that Jesus did, which is the great work of the work of the revelation, when we walk in the Spirit and we let the life of the Lord live in and through us, just as Jesus did. This is why Galatians 2.20 is so impactful. It's this not I, but Christ in me concept. Look at Galatians 2.20 up on the screen. I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in my body and my flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live, I live by the faith. So, we can do the work of revelation, the same work that Jesus did when we take this approach, not I, but Christ lives in me. And when I have this not I, but Christ approach, people get to see a little bit more of a revelation of the, of the life, love, and character of Christ and God in and through you. But Jesus said, do you believe me that God's in me? And I'm asking the Christians, do you believe that Christ is in you? I have to ask that question, because a lot of times we settle for something less called Christianity. So it's not a bad term, it just can be like a less than term. You ever heard this quote, sometimes the good is the enemy of the best? Being named Christian is good, but Christ in you is the best, right? Sometimes the good is the enemy of the best. Now, we're not saved by our good works, and we'll wrap it up here, but we are um, saved unto do good works. This is the question, right? In John 6, 28, And they said unto him, What shall we might do that we might work the works of God? And Jesus said, This is the work of God that you believe on him whom he has sent. That's a really powerful passage and comment. They're asking the very same question religion is trying to answer with all their rules and regulations. Jesus clears it up. It's, it's all based on the work of, of Jesus for you, not your work for Jesus. Romans 4, 4, this is a great chapter on this. Romans 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, and 8. <laughs> I mean, well, just like Romans, Romans 3, 4, and 5, if you want to just hang out on those passages, that's kind of like, those, that's, if you like sandwiches, but you like just put on extra meat, yeah, chapter 1 and the chapter 16 are good. They're good. I mean, it's kind of bread. You need the bread. Uh, but you want the meat of the sandwich with the extra on it? Yeah, chapters 3, 4, and 5, 100%. Um, 
in grace communities, it's uh, what we, we do like five, six, seven, and eight, those. But if you tack on three and four, here's what, verse, here's what chapter four has to say um, as it relates to salvation. But to him working, the reward is not reckoned or rewarded according to grace, but according to debt. But to him not working, but believing on him, justifying the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. Right? Because most people say, well, you, you know, nothing in life is free. And he's trying to answer that question. Well, yeah, that's true. Like, if you work, you get a wage. But in this case, you don't do any work, yet you receive the free gift of eternal life. It's counterintuitive to how we're set up. And that's why grace just rocks us to the core. We just, we can't fathom it. Romans eleven six, he compares the two. But if by grace, then it's no more of works. Otherwise, grace is no more grace. But if by works, then it's no more grace. Otherwise, work is no more work. They cancel each other out. So if you're going to be saved by works, well, then you don't call it grace, because then it's no longer grace. It's just all works. The caveat to that is there's none good enough to work their way into heaven. Well, okay, so then it's got to be of grace. Okay, then it, then it can't be of works, because you can't add... You, it's like oil and water. They're both liquids, right? Uh, one you need for life and another thing. The other one has value, value too, but um, you, if you mix the two, now they're both, they're both irrelevant, right? So when it comes to salvation, you're saved by grace without works. First Timothy, and I'm picking these because I know you guys know all the familiar ones. I'm picking the more um, obscure ones, so you could be like, "Oh, I don't, I, I forgot that one was in there." Look at Second Timothy one nine. Jesus has saved us and called us with the holy calling, not according to our works, but according to His own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before eternal times. So, just a couple. Other quotes, extra-biblical quotes, just from people. For grace is given not because we have done good works, but in order that we may be able to do them. For grace is given not because we have done good works, but in order that we may be able to do them. That's an ancient quote. That's pretty, pretty insightful. Next quote. We don't do good works for our salvation. We do good works from our salvation. Amen. Yes, I believe I am saved by works, the finished work of Jesus, one has said. And I think it's the last one here. The Christian experience is not an axiom. We are not saved by grace and sanctified by works. We experience both the same way. Just as we have received Christ, we walk in Christ. Amen. So though we are not saved by good works, Christians are saved unto good works. Here's the verse I know you were thinking of, and I'll get to it, but I'm going to get to another verse that maybe you, you had not thought about. Ephesians 2, the verse that God used to save me, for by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourself. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. The very next verse, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to good works, which God has before ordained that we should walk in them. I, he can't be more clear. You're not saved by works, but those that are saved do do good works. This is what you're created to do. Do you get that? That is very, very, very clear. 
And a lot of time people, they're like, okay, I'm saved by grace, not by works, therefore, you know, we'll just call it good. But you're missing, you're missing kind of the, the fulfillment and the, you know, the, the purpose aspect of why God saved you by his works and not your own unto good works. It's God working in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. He wants to do it with you when you partner up with him. Titus chapter 3, we're almost done here, uh, verses 5. Not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us through the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior, that being justified by his grace, we should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Faithful is the word. And as to these things, I desire that you strongly affirm that those believing in God might be careful to maintain good works. These things are good and profitable to people. It's kind of the same approach as Ephesians, where he says you're not saved by works, but by the way, if you're saved, do good works. Titus is saying you're not saved by works, but by the way, be careful to maintain good works. It profits people. Do you see it? I mean, out of the, let's do out of the mouth or two or three witness verses. Both Ephesians and Titus are saying the same thing in different ways. You're not saved by works, but those that are saved do good works. And be careful to maintain it. Be busy about that. Because you have the batteries included. God's in you, and he wants to do these good works through you. Okay. I've gone longer than I thought. So could you... Fast forward to the screen where it shows a picture of a banana. Did you know I was going to do this? Okay. So you're like, Neil, what kind of snacks do you like? Not really bananas, <clears throat> but I was heading out on a fishing trip with Eric. He was so, he blessed me. We weren't working that day. Uh, so he's like, let me, I got this taken care of. So, and I hadn't been the whole time I've been here. So this was a real honor and a treat. I don't have any gear. Um, so I don't know the code or the ethic or the rules or anything, okay? So we go out there and, my, and we had to leave. Like I'd woke up at like three or something in the morning. So, and my, my wife was like, she doesn't wake up that early. It's not like she's gonna like prepare me something. So I just, whatever I could grab, I grabbed. I saw a couple of bananas. I don't eat bananas. They could sit there forever. I don't eat bananas. But I'm like, I don't know what to take. I don't know what to expect. I didn't know there was, they make breakfast burritos on the burgers and breakfast. I mean, they have like a chef on the thing. I mean, not really a chef, but a cook. Um, so anyways, we're out of the boat, going to Catalina, and we're, we weren't finding any fish at all. Like everyone was getting skunked. Uh, the fish that were caught were really small. You had to throw them back. Um, so it was like not a good day. And people were, you know, I mean, we're out on the water. That's awesome. But I pull out of my backpack two bananas. Not the healthiest looking bananas. But I'm eating, I'm eating one. And I'm like, hey, Eric, do you want a banana? He's like, no. And someone said, you brought bananas? Eric, did you know he was going to bring bananas? And I know they're razzing me, I know this, but I'm like, I'm not in on the, like, the, the sea superstitions. 
I don't, I don't know there was a code or a book or like this, me grandfather told me when I was swapping the decks one day. I didn't know the riddles and the, I didn't know. So they're like, you don't know about the curse of the banana boat? And I'm like, I'd never heard of the curse of the banana boat. Like, he's the reason. I, I didn't think they're going to throw me over, but they asked me to throw my bananas overboard. And I'm like, okay. So I finished my one banana, and I had the other one, and it would look pretty beat up anyways. It was in my backpack, and I'm like, fine. So I, I littered, and I tossed them in the ocean. <laughs> Biodegradable. I'm like, here you go, fishies. Enjoy. Maybe the curse is lifted. So after I threw the bananas... You know, hopefully I'm getting rid, of, getting rid of the curse that I brought onto the boat. That's why no one's catching fish. It's not because they suck as fishermen or they have bad gear. It's because of me. And so I'm like, okay, I'm owning it because, you know, I didn't expect much anyways. I didn't even know what to expect. I just thought we're having fun, you know, okay. But I brought the curse because I brought the bananas. Well, we go around the corner and here, show this. I hope this shows up. Go to the next one. Okay, well, this is a video. There's three people on this boat. I don't know if you right-click it, maybe. I don't know what happens. This was this is lost in translation thing. I did it on a Mac, and now it's on a PC. It, well, this was from my phone originally, but um, anyway. So this video, you kind of you get the picture just of the still part of this video, but. We get up to them, and they had been out there for a few hours. We're on the other side of Catalina. You know, like, this is a big island. And they were, um, they're foreigners. They're not from, they didn't speak English as their first language. And that one guy, uh, I think they only had one life vest. And by the way, you could see this backside of Catalina, it's just cliffs. So they would have gotten hit up against the rocks and probably not be able to get out of the water anyways. So to swim to shore would have been an option, um, but they had been out there for hours. Dehydration starts to factor in. There's a lot of things that's already wrong, right? And I, we figured out how he did it. They accidentally hit reverse in the boat, um, and they reversed into a wave that went into the boat. Because if you're back, you usually hit the, the wave, you know, uh, perpendicular, so at the front and you take on some water, but then the bilge pumps it out. But they took on a lot of water, choked out the motor, uh, they couldn't start it on, the bilge pump didn't work, then it just started taking on water and then capsized. Could you imagine being in that situation? And so I was like, whoa, and then the boat crew was very professional, they were on the spot, we got alongside them, you know, gave them some, threw out of the life thing, the ladder, uh, pulled them in. We had another concern because their boat almost went under our prop, uh, you know, so there was like some, some issues there, but we got them out. And so I was in the, kind of in the cabin and I'm like, talking to some of the dudes and I'm like, curse, huh? The old banana boat curse. <laughs> I'm like, what looks to me was a curse ended up being a blessing. If I hadn't have come with these bananas, thrown them off the boat, I don't know if we would have rescued these people. Have you ever been on a boat, ever, where you've rescued someone? 
And I went around asking a lot of people. They said, nope, nope, nope. Not even the captain, no. Never, never been rescued someone from a capsized boat. And these are like seasoned erg fishermen, right? So um, I said this. I said, so you came out thinking that we were going to be fishing for fish. And go to the next slide. I said, but maybe we're called to be fishers of men. We did not catch fish, but we caught men. <laughs> now, is it fun to catch fish? I hooked up with something so large, I had no clue what I was doing. They're like clear, and I'm running around, and I'm like, I don't know what to do. And um, <clears throat> it was so heavy, but the exhilaration of that, whatever it was, this mystery thing that was like fighting back, I get it. I'm hooked because when you hook something, you get hooked. You're like, we're both hooked. I want to see you. We're not going to be friends because I'm going to eat you. But And then I got it, and then it got away. Um, the fish that got away. I did catch fish. I caught like four, but um, nothing really big. But could you imagine the exhilaration of talking to someone about Jesus? And they say, I want to know that. That's different, right? Being a fisher of men. So when you, when you talk about good works, Jesus said, go back two slides. This is the last one. John 17, 18. He said, as you have sent me into the world, even so I have sent them into the world. And I sanctify myself for their sake so that they also might be sanctified in the truth. I do not pray for these only, meaning us and the disciples, but for those also who shall believe on me through their word. You're sitting here as a believer because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Someone told you, somehow, some way, you got the gospel. Someone loved God and loved you and I enough to share. When Jesus says, I'm sending you out in the world to do good works, would you please consider being a fisher of men? Let's stand and be dismissed. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you that we were able to physically rescue uh, these gentlemen. I'm even thinking myself. Phys physically rescued, spiritually rescued. I wonder where they spend eternity. Lord, for those of us that know you, I pray that you motivate us to be bold, uh, to be courageous, to know our identity and to walk in this world as you did, saying, not my will, but your will be done, and help us to be sensitive to listening what the Spirit has to say to us and to be obedient to do what the Spirit wants to do in and through us. I pray for our wonderful church that we have a blessed day and week. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You are dismissed.